Good morning and welcome to Roseville Covenant Church. Will you stand and join me for hymn number 306, And Can It Be?
Amen, yes. We can have a seat. I have a few announcements. My name is Alicia Vela, and I am the pastor of youth and young adults, if I haven't yet met you. And um, you may remember that back in August, we had this thing called the State Fair. Has anyone ever heard of the State Fair? That was a great joke, right? Um, so we were a parking lot for the State Fair, and you may have seen this going through the announcement slides as you were coming in. And so we just wanted to see if anyone had a guess of how many people rode the bus from Roseville Covenant to the State Fair. Does, just shout out. Does anybody have a guess? I heard 45,000. I just wanted to make sure you didn't say 4,500 because I was like, that's not even close. 18,000? Anyone else? Two? <laughs> 75,000, thank you. 200,000. Um, that I mean, that would be awesome. We had 59,356 people that rode the State Fair bus from our parking lot to the State Fair. Isn't that crazy? Um, that's just such a cool little fun fact of trivia that we found out this week. Um, also going on, we are launching a new recycling um, initiative here at Roseville Covenant. You will have noticed that there are bins um, where the old bins used to be. They have really cool um, decals on them that help you to remember what is recycling and what is not recycling. Um, so as we uh, take care of God's creation, just uh, be aware that those are happening. And that's uh, out in the lobby and all around our building this Wednesday night is Halloween, um, so there will be no Wednesday night activities. Go enjoy Halloween in your community, in your neighborhoods. Um, I hope that it is a great evening of community and connection for you. Uh, our next one is that next week we are collecting our uh, Thanksgiving grocery bags for the Union Gospel Mission. We already have 38 bags that have been brought in, which is amazing. Great job for the 38 people or groups. Yeah. Um, that are already ahead of the ball and coming and bringing them in. We're uh, hoping to do 65 bags. So we are over halfway there, but we are really excited. So next week is when we would like, we need those dropped off. And so um, grab a list out in the lobby and be able to um, grab some friends and hopefully you can fill a grocery bag and bring it in next week. Also, when you bring it in next week, remember that it's daylight savings time. So fall back. I think that means you get an extra hour of sleep. I'm not really sure how this magic of daylight savings works, but I think you get an extra hour of sleep, but don't forget to set those clocks back, or if you have an iPhone, just let it do its thing. Uh, also coming up is our Thanksgiving service, so save the date. It's in the evening on November 18th. It's going to be a great night of community and fellowship um, and uh, enjoying the things that God has given us and celebrating that all God is doing in our lives. So save the date for the 18th. It was a lot of information. You can find it also all in your bulletin, um, but we're just so glad that you're here to worship with us this morning. You know, if this was The Price is Right, I think uh, Ben said we would have guessed $1 up here if it was we were last in the, in the line. <laughs> I like the 200,000. I hope next year we do get 200,000. What an incredible opportunity to be Christ's body, to people just kind of wandering by. Um, my name is Chaz Lauder. I'm the worship pastor here, and you are, you are in for a treat. This is week two of our series in James. We're talking about favoritism and how that's really not part of God's plan. Um, the Bible's really clear throughout Scripture. I, I think probably the most clear is, is uh, in, in the book of Romans. God does not show favoritism. He talks about cautioning us to favor one group over another. You think about uh, how we are all one in Christ, and there's no Jew, nor Greek, slave, nor free, male, nor female. We're all one in Christ, and, and we're just called 
I, I had a, a pastor, a, a fellow minister I used to work with that said, we're called to be a kiss from Jesus. We're called to be his ambassador, his representative. So this first song, I want to encourage you to stand. Uh, we've sung many times before, and this is, a, this is a song that just talks about, it makes it you know, our prayer. Lord, everyone that sees us, let us be you to them. Please stand and sing Christ be all around me. This body is bread, 
for everyone. Your life, your death, your blood was shed for every moment, every moment. Your life, your death, your blood was shed for every moment, every moment. Your life, your death, your blood was shed for every moment, every moment. Your life, your death, your blood was shed for every moment. you probably learned in Sunday school, John 3.16, God so loved the world, all the world, not just a few of us, not just uh, the rich, not just the poor, not this class or that class or this race, or that he loves all of us. That's what this song is about, the heart of our loving Heavenly Father. Sudden, 
I am unaware of these afflictions eclipsed by glory. And I realize just how beautiful you are and how great your affections are for me. Oh, how he loves us so. Oh, how he loves us. How he loves us so. a prayer together today and we're going to respond when I say Lord in your mercy you respond hear our prayers and it's a prayer and a method of praying that has been with the church for centuries and in a day like today I think we need to look back just a little bit a bigger picture than who our local church is who the American church is and call on the God of mercy to hear our prayers so please join me Lord, we have just sung these words that you are jealous for us. You don't want us to bow down to any other gods. 
You don't want us to look to anyone else for strength. You want us to come to you. And the first thing you want us to do because of your mercy and your grace is to come confessing our sins. And so today, Lord Jesus, we come confessing our sins, knowing we have not loved you with our whole heart, with all of our strength and all of our mind, with our whole being. And we know we have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. We are so grateful that your word tells us that when we come to you, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so today, Lord Jesus, we come in the quietness of this time confessing our sins to you, asking for your mercy and your grace to be poured out on us. Lord, in your mercy. You tell us throughout the scriptures that you want us to have hearts for those who are broken. And our world is filled with people who need those prayers now, Lord Jesus, and need the touch of your loving hand. For the widows, for the orphans, for the aliens, for those who are destitute, needing your care, we know, as we read in James, that all are equal in the kingdom of God, that you love us equally. For all those that we don't stop and pay attention to in our everyday lives, Lord, that need your touch of mercy and grace, we ask your forgiveness. And Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. We pray, Lord, for all the violence that is happening right now in our country. We pray for the broken hearts as people gathered yesterday in a, in a Jewish synagogue to worship Yahweh. We pray for the broken hearts as they have lost loved ones. We pray for the community as they gather around. We pray for the fear that dictates people's hearts. Lord, in your mercy. For all of the unrest in our country right now, we ask that you would come alongside of each of us and quiet our spirits. Give us your peace. Help us to know we are called by you to be servants of the Most High God, to show your love and your grace and your mercy to all. Lord, in your mercy. Amen.
people this morning as we take an offering. I want to give you a little update. Last week, we um, updated you on Journey Together, which is um, a fund that we have set up to do um, some improvements and some projects as a church community to celebrate 60 years of ministry together. And as a part of that Journey Together um, time, we have built into that a special fund to go to a boy's home in Colombia called Casa de Paz. And um, sometimes as I start talking about Colombia, I feel a little bit like a broken record. Um, but here's the thing, I know that um, we're coming into this worship space and not all of us have always had opportunities to hear about our ministry in Colombia. And so I wanna just give you a short update and then invite you as you leave this morning um, to also give to this special project. Um, I was reminded this morning as I was in worship and I was feeling like, oh, I'm gonna talk about Colombia again. I was talking with our missionaries, um, Julio Izasa, who's in Colombia a couple of weeks ago. And he said, Colleen, when I go places, um, they used to say, um, when is a missions team from the States coming? And he said, now in the places where your church has been, they say, when is Roseville Covenant coming? And I think that's such a neat testimony to the impact our teams have had as we've ministered and served in Colombia. And one of the places that our teams have been is this um, boys' home called Casa de Paz. And Casa de Paz was built by a Covenant church, a Covenant church family who saw a community who had been displaced, which meant that it was a neighborhood that was living and working and um, their family for one another. And the government kind of picked them up and put them on a mountainside and said, here is your new home. And they didn't have electricity, they didn't have running water or any of those things. And in the process, this church community said, there's a lot of boys specifically who are now orphaned in that transition or they don't have regular care. So they built this boys home where 13 boys live on a regular basis. Um, they take breaks and they go home for short periods of time um, to be with maybe extended family, but they primarily live at Casa de Paz, which is called House of Peace. And Casa de Paz is built on a, on a hill, um, like a lot of Colombia is. And when the rainwaters come, it's eroding the land on this mountainside. And some of our team has done some gardening on this mountainside, and they have told me they have never done such difficult gardening before, because you can see it's on a hill. And that water flowing down the hill is impacting their home, it's impacting their gardens where they get a lot of their food. Um, and so we want to partner with an engineer as a part of our Journey Together campaign and build a system to be able to fix this problem for our kids. Here's the thing, as I was worshiping this morning and thinking about this, I thought this is a place where many of you might never go, but if you would like to, I would love to talk to you. These are boys that maybe many of you will never meet, but I know in my life, I stand on the shoulders of people I have never met. I know that there is a legacy that has gone before me of people, some I know, some I will never meet, that I stand on. The image that was brought to mind was scaffolding. You all know scaffolding, like on construction sites and they get you to high places. I stand on scaffolding of a spiritual legacy, of a spiritual legacy of people that have built hospitals I've been cared for or uh, faith communities that I have been trained in. I have a legacy of family, some that I have met, some that I have never met that have a legacy of faith that have gone before me. For these boys, their scaffolding is shaky I don't know if you've ever stood on a ladder that's shaky. Nothing is more terrifying. 
It's non-existent. It's, it's falling apart. And as spiritual family, we get to step in and um, be scaffolding for them. And so um, I want to invite you to give this morning. We're going to take an offering in just a moment, and that goes towards our regular ministry um, and what we do as a church together. But as you leave, um, we want to invite you to give later today towards this project. We wanted to raise about $10,000. We're about $2,500 short. We would love to close that gap because in January, there's a team of men in Columbia that are ready to do this project. So that's kind of our timeline. That is our hope. Um, and we want to invite you this morning to be a part of it. But in the meantime, um, there's a lot that we have to celebrate as a church community that God is doing. And we're just grateful for a place that has the strength and has the vision for our kids to be scaffolding, not only in this community, but um, further in God's kingdom. So let's give this morning, but let me pray as we do. God, we're just grateful for the people in our lives, the shoulders that we all stand on. And as I pray, it's coming to mind that there are people that have gone before us in this church building that had a vision for Roseville Covenant, a place where people could come to encounter you, that could build a spiritual family. And Father, we're so thankful that in this place, we stand on the shoulders of people who have gone before us. Thank you for that legacy. Thankful, um, we're thankful for the legacy that you are building in us to give to other people. And so we give out of that overflow today. In your name we pray, amen. As we take the offering today, we're going to sing a song that's probably new to most of us. So you might want to turn in your hymn book to 643, and the choir will sing it the first time through. But the words are just so fitting for today's message. So let's sing together 643.
I will be reading from Luke chapter 14, verses 7 through 14. When Jesus noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers and sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Second reading is from James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised for those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor is not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For, who, for, for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking it all. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. It's been a tough week for us, hasn't it? In our country, and I appreciate Holly's prayer as we commit those situations to the Lord. Um, it's also been a difficult week in the life of our church when we have a number of our people 
in the last few weeks who have lost loved ones, some people that are very, very ill and very sick, and it becomes difficult as a staff and as a pastor when you want to care for these folks and you realize that these are people that you love dearly and that you care dearly for. And so it hasn't been an easy week. Could, could I just have those lights turned down, please? They're hitting me right in the eye and I don't like it. I can't see you. And I don't like that. I want to see you. Um, when I was thinking about the book of James a while back, I thought, boy, this, this message is going to be an easy one. This can be easy one. Don't show favoritism. I don't have no problem with this one. And I preached about two or three sermons in my car. I'm afraid that will be better than the one I'm going to do now. I wish I would have written them down because when I stopped the car, I can't remember what I said, and so I'm in trouble. I've got to record it, you know. But it's not an easy one, and I can't say that it's been an easy one for me to put together. So bear with me, if you would, please. But it's a very, very important topic. As we look at the book of James, which the theme is Inside Out, and ultimately, it's treating each other with dignity. That's really what we want to focus on this morning. Let's pray. Father, we've already heard your word through song, through spoken word. Father, the focus, the focus is so important as we think about who you are and what that means as we interact with each other. Father, give us clarity this morning. Amen. Down the way, I'm going to ask a question for you to think about. And you might not give me an answer right away, and it, maybe you want to give an answer, but why do we show discrimination or why do we show favoritism towards people in the context of community, the body of Christ? I want you to think about that. And at some point, I want you to, to help me out. You see, the book of James is written primarily to the people of the kingdom of God, the community of faith. It's about the church. It's really the focal point. And we desire more than anything else in James writing to those who are scattered from the Jerusalem church is that they, as they go to new places of worship, that they would experience unity in Christ as they seek to love one another. I love the title Inside Out because, folks, the faith that we worship and we worship Christ, it is all about inside out. Jesus' teaching in his great Sermon on the Mount starts with the inner motivation of why we do what we do. It's not just about doing the right things, but it's about the motivation why we do what we do. In the other kingdom of the world that we live in, it seems like what happens is that we manage behavior in society. But that's not just what we do in Christ church. We have a common core beliefs that unite us together as one in Christ. I appreciate the words of Martin Luther King Jr. in one of his great sermons he gave. It's not the color of your skin, but the content of your heart. That is a very deeply theological for the church. The clear teaching of Jesus, that it really starts with the heart. What is in us internally, and how does that live out in our lives? This book, as you know, was written to believers who were scattered abroad, and James, this, this wonderful pastor of the Jerusalem church, wants them to be ministered to in their settings, and not only does he speak to th them, these ones that were scattered, but to the ones that they go, the churches that they go to. Those as they were scattered were, were in dire straits, difficult circumstances as they went to these various places throughout the Roman Empire. And they found such situations in the church that weren't always advantageous or beneficial or kind to them. 
And James is speaking both to both groups, those who, the ones who don't have versus the ones that have. And he's speaking to that setting. So it's a message to the poor, the disadvantaged ones, and to the ones who had the advantages that were rich and that were powerful. You realize the difficulties of these people scattered from Jerusalem, and it was very difficult for them. And he starts out this book in chapter 1 to set the stage for us. He says, Consider it pure joy when you encounter various trials. By saying consider, it's almost you've got to consider that, you've got to focus on that. And again, that is so significant that we understand that what we face in life has redemptive value to us. And even though they were going through some excruciating circumstances in life, he wants them to see that in the midst of that there can be a deep inner sense of joy. Because what God is all about is helping us process our experience together with us as we become more like Christ. In the midst of tough situations, we need the wisdom from God that's readily available from God, from his word, from people. He also wants us to stay strong as we face trials, realizing that there is eternity in view. And folks, the reality of heaven becomes, needs to become so important to us, particularly when we go through difficult times. He wants them to understand that God is not against them. God is good. He's not the one who's tempting them. He's not the one. He is good, but he doesn't want to let sin to control them, as they might give up or justify behavior, envy what others have, or experience indifference. But he's speaking to those ones scattered, and he wants them to find in the midst of what they're facing, God and God's way. The subject of chapter 2 is a very important one. I think ultimately it's treating each other with dignity. But he says very clearly, do not show favoritism. Now, I believe a lot of things with deep conviction. But this one I, I believe with my deepest convictions. There's nothing that I believe stronger than this one as a pastor, but more so my personal beliefs. I appreciate the upbringing of my family. You know, there's maybe not a good dichotomy between blue-collar and uh, white-collar jobs, but my dad was a contractor in Chicago, and he related to all kinds of people, from people who were very wealthy the projects that he would do in Chicago to people that were just very, very common. And I saw my dad relate to people with dignity. It didn't matter who they were. It didn't matter who they were. My dad would relate to them with dignity. He related to everybody in a certain way if we worked for him. We all were treated like dogs, but when it, <laughs> you know, he treated us all the same, all the same. But I have wonderful respect for my dad that he really saw people the eyes of Jesus and that meant so much to me because folks there is no such thing as second-class Christians when I came here it's almost going on nine years ago with all the good things that were happening and I didn't make all the great decisions at the beginning it was very difficult for me but one of the things that I was had a deep conviction of is that I'm going to treat all people with equal dignity I had people coming up to me to say, you know, I just don't feel like I belong here. I don't feel like I'm in the in-group. And that really troubled me. That deeply troubled me. Because there is no person who is a second-class Christian. In God's eyes, we have unbelievable dignity in Christ. And we don't separate ourselves by those that are up here and those that are down here. And I've worked very, very hard to treat everybody with equal dignity. 
to not discriminate against people. It defines us as Christians and it defines us as a church how we deal with this issue in our lives. But folks, the good news of Jesus Christ is the powerful equalizer. If there's anything that equalizes us as the people of faith, it's what Christ has done for us. Because everybody comes to the cross, everybody comes as utterly spiritually broken, bankrupt people. Every one of us. If anybody thinks they're not, they can't enter the kingdom of God. And as a result of that, we have this incredible oneness in Christ. We're spiritually bankrupt. We experience the power of his grace. We have newfound identity with equal value and dignity. It's part of the new community that the Apostle Paul describes. He describes that there are distinctions that are in culture that aren't distinctions that should be lifted up in the church in this way. No Jew, Gentile, slave, free, male or female, we're one in Jesus Christ. And I want to explain that very carefully. It doesn't mean that we eliminate differences. It doesn't mean we don't struggle with the differences that we have in these areas of our lives. But there's something that transcends our differences in the body of Christ, and it's our absolute allegiance and our oneness in Jesus Christ. This transcends them all. We have this unbelievable journey following after Christ, this deep acceptance of each other, the fact that we can be real and share the stuff in our lives and our purposes to help each other with a clear sense of new identity that we share and repentance and forgiveness extended to us and to each other. We come to Jesus, we spend the rest of our lives growing into this newfound identity, realizing that we have been given all the resources to live a godly life. And that's the journey for all of us. And I want you to think with me this morning about this issue of favoritism. Showing favoritism in the church is horribly destructive. It's an area that undercuts the very foundation of the church throughout its history. The church of Jesus Christ, centered on its core beliefs, does not separate over our differences, but rather unites around our common identity in Christ. Folks, James says, showing favoritism brings bondage. When we show favoritism and we're in a setting where it's all about who's in and who's out, we're held captive to each other rather than experience the deep freedom of simply following Jesus and his example. Showing favoritism or prejudice towards others in the community of Christ is incongruent with genuine faith. I'll state it another way. You cannot claim Jesus Christ. You can't claim him and persist to have a deep-seated prejudice for fellow members of the spiritual family. That's not from me. That's from James, the brother of Jesus. So I want you to ask and think for a moment, and even we're in silence for this moment, why do we show favoritism so much in the life of the church? Why is this so prevalent? I don't have to say just our church, even though it is. Church at large, why do we show such favoritism in the church? Just think about that. We don't have to take time to answer that here, but I want you to think about that because I think it's at the root of what James is trying to teach us. Why are we in so incessantly show favoritism? Lifting up certain people, living vicariously through others rather than through Christ. Well, the Bible teaches us some really important things on that subject. The Old Testament context in Deuteronomy, it says God does not show partiality, does not accept bribes. I find that interesting. God doesn't accept bribes. But what it means is that God deals with people fairly. Fairly. 
That's what he means. He deals with people in fairness. In Leviticus chapter 19, it says, Do not show partiality for the rich or show partiality for the poor. He says, Do not pervert justice in your judicial rulings that you make as a people of Israel. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the rich, but judge your neighbor fairly. This is the reference to equal treatment under the law. Leviticus 19 says, love your neighbor as yourself. Neighbor, anyone in your sphere of influence. If you're in a healthy place, this loving your neighbor as yourself becomes a very important truth in the Old Testament. In the New Testament context, we just heard the message from Jesus that was read. You know the story there. In the ancient world, social status was very, very important. In Jewish society, in worship particularly, there were rigid places where people would sit based upon their rank. Social status was very, very important in the Roman world and position in society. And this seemed to make the society go. So when we hear the message of Jesus and we hear the message of James, we realize that it is so absolutely countercultural in the ancient world and the world today. I was a trip to Philadelphia once and went to Christ Church. In the ancient times of our country, you had to pay for your, your bench, your pew. You had to pay for it. That was how you paid your tithe for the bench. And here in the midst of this great Christ church is a big, huge place with a door with all kinds of benches right set in the middle of all the ones that face forward, and it was a big, huge enclosure. That was for George Washington. George Washington. A prominent place right in front. I understand he didn't go to church a lot. But he had his place. He had his place that recognized his honor. So you remember the story that was just read about Jesus. When you pick your place, don't pick the place of prominence as we always gravitate towards because it might be embarrassing for you. But the principle Jesus wants us to understand is those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who will humble themselves will be exalted. He really wants those that, 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 that live in a world of the pride and arrogance and thinking that they're above everybody else to realize that they need to be humbled. And there are those that, that, that just feel like their life doesn't matter. And for those, God wants to lift them up to say, you have value, equal treatment and care. And Jesus' teaching is so in line with James. He says, why don't you bring people into your banquet, the ones who are the outcasts that cannot repay you, that cannot repay you. Join them so they feel a part of the kingdom. James chapter 2, as we have read as well that scripture, faith in Jesus Christ and show partiality are incompatible. Favoritism is forbidden. That's the words, as strong as he says. Believers in humble circumstance ought to take pride in their high position. Jesus is in chapter 1 of James. But the rich ought to take pride in their humiliation. It's this very same thing that James is saying that Jesus said. You see, in chapter 2, he starts out with, the, if you want to look at it, the bond of brothers and sisters. He says, brothers and sisters, believers. He wants them to understand that we have this inseparable link together, inseparably linked together with Christ. We are brothers and we are sisters. How do we treat brothers? And how do we treat people in a healthy family? 
He goes on to say this bond we have in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Why does he use the term the glorious Lord Jesus Christ? Because in 1 John, it says the word became flesh and dwell among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the only Son of God, who is full of grace and truth. He wants them to focus on Christ. He wants to understand who he is. He wants to understand that to understand how we treat each other flows from Jesus with his grace and his truth. And he says, stop showing favoritism, which means elevating and giving benefits to people who have outward advantages such as money, power, social prominence, and positions of privilege. I might say this, however, that the answer, the Christian answer, is not reverse discrimination and treat the poor like royalty at the expense of the rich because in Christ's kingdom, it's not the rich versus the poor. Both groups need to realize their equal dignity in God. One might need to humble, one might need to lift it up, but the equal care and treatment and love and concern for each other is the answer. And he gives us an example. It would be a very odd example in the earliest expression of the church. It would be very odd for a rich person to come into the church. It would be very odd. You want to know in the very earliest stages of the church, it's just, it's wonderful how it spells out in the early parts of Acts. Social distinctions did not exist in the earliest expression of the church. Masters and slaves sat beside each other in worship services. In fact, slaves would often lead the assembly in worship. Can you imagine? As the true church grew and branched out, became more and more of an issue. And so somebody enters into their assembly, which would have been odd, who with a ring, maybe more rings, and fine clothes, a sign of wealth and prestige, and they get the VIP treatment. And a poor person enters at the same time with shabby clothes, and you get them out of the way. Do not even give them a seat to sit at in the table of faith. He goes on so strongly to say, you have become evil judges. You become like the Old Testament judges who were very evil. And you violate the principle of fairness to all. To discriminate in the church is evil. To allow people to feel as second-class citizens in the church is sinful and it's wrong. And he wants people who feel like they're down to realize that they are rich in faith. They have dignity. They have worth. He wants the rich in this context as they have gone into these churches who have dishonored and exploited the poor, to humble themselves, humble themselves because they need to in order to really care about people. Discrimination over color, political persuasion, financial status, gender must not be part of the church of Jesus Christ if we're going to be a healthy church. And so I just want to just encourage us to think about this. I'm not going to go into a lot of, only one implication am I going to make. But there are so many implications that flow from this. And I just feel so strongly that if we're going to have a healthy church, every one of us has dignity. We see people through the eyes of Christ. And my one thing is, when people walk through the door, as it did in that situation, how are we going to treat them? Do you want to know what to not be welcoming to the strangers is? That we sit in our social groups, and we don't want to get out of our social groups with a person who comes through the door who needs to be loved, I don't care if they're rich or poor. And we sit in our groups and we don't go to them and make them feel like they belong because God loves them and Jesus loves them so dearly. Folks, the good news is the powerful equalizer for the people of faith. 
A powerful equalizer is seeing people through the eyes of Christ, realizing our spiritual bankruptcy and our deep need for his grace. And he says, please don't, please don't show favoritism. It undercuts the good news of Christ. Amen. James might say to us this morning, maybe there's somebody in this 
assembly here, our special church family that needs to get off your high horse. Get off your high horse, thinking more highly of yourself than you ought to. But he also wants to say to those that just don't feel, just don't feel like they matter. James wants us to understand you matter so deeply and he loves you so dearly. Infinite worth and love for you because he wants us to care about each other. He wants us to care about each other deeply. May we do that in this place together. Amen. You're dismissed.